0: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist and, uh, an all around good guy. All around? You know what? It's crazy when I'm out and about, and I'm out and about a lot. You are. That's a lot true. of people always want to know about Dr. Matt because you've got this, this wonderful radio voice. Well, uh, and And you're very knowledgeable, and the thing I love about you as a therapist and a psychologist is that you you don't talk down to your audience, you use words and 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 that mean something to me where I don't have to go home and look up a bunch of words you know and I, and I'll say it now I mean you've been working with my son who's suffers from a little bit of anxiety and stuff like that and and like He's always excited to go see Doctor Matt. Well, I'm excited to see him. He's a good guy, and, and 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 I think that's what's so cool about you is your relatability. And oh, thank uh, you. And, and I think that's what a good therapist does is is relates. Well, I usually tell people uh, if you ha- if if you need to have
1: a surgery or something, connecting with your doctor is not that important. They just need to be able to do the job. Mm-hmm. But therapy is different, and I I usually tell people if you've had a bad experience with a therapist, if you didn't connect. Keep trying them out until you find somebody you connect with, and uh, then the
0: relationship helps the process. And on that same note, I feel the same way about recovery centers. Oh, yeah. There's so many times that people will get a bad taste in their mouth of a recovery center because they just did one and it was horrible or they, they didn't treat them right. Or they just didn't fit in or they didn't or like they the They just
1: didn't connect with it. The process,
0: that you the know, modalities they're, yeah. that they're yeah. using. I and mean, you hear that all the time. And, and, and I, and I'll talk to people, you know, at the gym or at a football game and they're like, oh, I tried a therapist, but they didn't do anything. So, you and so then they judge all therapists on that one interaction. Right, right, right. And, and that's not how that works. And so, you know, I mean, even when they say talking to a doctor, get a second opinion. Yeah. So we should do that when it comes to recovery centers. Like when I talk to people and they want uh, recommendations for recovery centers, I'll usually send them two to three and go, go check out all of these. Yeah.
1: See if you make a connection.
0: And see which one makes sense. It's like when I was sitting in uh, uni, the Huntsman Health Mental Institute, and I had to send my mom to go look at recovery centers for me because I was locked up and uh, <laughs> I needed somebody right. to look at them. And, and I go, to go take a look at them and see which one you think matches my personality best or which one would add most to my recovery. And she came back and she goes, well, both of them are nice, but I think this one kind of more aligns with you. And that's the one I chose. And, and here I am sober. Yeah, it worked. So that's, you know, no, that's great advice, Casey. I agree. Um, we were going to have a guest today. We were. And we we're pretty excited about it. And uh, he's in town and uh, he's going to go talk to the prison. He's, you know, and, and kind of do well him. the prisoners, the prisoners. Yeah, yeah, not just the prison. Yeah. yeah. He's not going to stand outside. Yeah. and You know, right. Anybody can do that, probably. Yeah. yeah. But he's going to go talk to the prisoners. But he himself spent 12 years in prison. Yeah. And now he's on the outside and he's doing wonderful things in the recovery. And we we'll hope to get him back maybe sometime in the future. Yeah. When he's in town, he's not a local guy and we'd love to have him. But that doesn't mean the show stops. no. I'm here to tell you about how crazy my life is. Right. So I got two instances. Crazy good. Well, and that was going to be my line. (laughs) It is crazy, but it's crazy good. Yeah. Um, uh, I got two instances uh, that will show you how crazy my life is. Okay. First one, did you know Tapatio and Worcestershire sauce have the same lid? They do? Yeah. Yeah, I, they do. You want to know so how? Was, that's hard for me to say. You want to know how? What? Because I poured Worcestershire sauce on my eggs this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, hey, hey this whoa, is- this ain't <laughs> tapatillo. But I was running late and I was like, well, you know what? How bad could it be? It was pretty bad. I bet. It wasn't great, (laughs) but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I finished it. I'm not even sure what Worcestershire is for. Well, all I I know is I used to put it in Bloody Mary's. Oh, okay. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't even know. It's Worcestershire, Worcestershire. I don't know. It's Uh, hard for me to say. Yeah, but that was just an example. And in my mind, I was like, "Well, well, might as well just eat them. And so I ate it. Good for you. And it was all right. But here's another example of how crazy my life is. So uh, I think a lot of people know that I'm a fanatic for golf. Really? Yeah. Have you talked about that at all? I golf a lot. <laughs> Every I, day. I, 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 as much as I possibly can. Yeah. It's uh, it's my happiest place. Yeah. Uh, and I go out there and uh, I do as much as I can. But I, I have to do what I need to get done before I can golf. And so that's my job, work. Oh, so,
1: okay. So you, you save golf as sort of a reward. Yeah.
0: And and I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it takes precedent and I'm reminded that, Hey, you gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta pump the brakes on golf a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I feel alive out there. It's a wonderful game to figure out who you are. And I always tell people, if you want to find out who somebody is golf with them for four hours. Yeah. You will find out a lot about that that's person. Point. You can find out how they do in stress. Mm-hmm. You can find out how they do when they're frustrated, how they manage their emotions. You can find out if they cheat. Yeah. What I mean, kind of language they use. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and it's a wonderful place. And, and fortunate for me, a lot of my business is done on the golf course. Yeah. But a lot of partying is done on the golf course as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a world that I have to navigate. So gingerly, I was golfing
1: recently and on the, the green, uh, the fairway across from us, uh, the, the putting green, uh, some guy was running around with his pants down by his ankles. Because he didn't hit past the red tee? Because apparently something like that. And uh, pretty sure
0: they'd had a little to drink. Uh, there's this thing called birdie juice. Birdie juice. Me, know, I don't know you what You do know about is. birdie no, juice? No, I don't. Uh, birdie juice is uh, liquor that you keep in your golf bag. Okay. That anytime you get a birdie, oh. you drink Birdie juice. That wouldn't be a risk for me, unfortunately. <laughs> but normally when that happens, everybody in the group has to take birdie juice.
1: Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So, so it, if you're golfing with good golfers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's, there's birdie juice all around. Okay. Um, so Saturday I'm at a tournament and this is a ruckus tournament. This is just, it, it, it's it's crazy. Party central. Party central. And I'm having a great time and I'm golfing with my group and people are getting crazy. And, you know, just it it was it was a lot of fun. And and I and I have fun in those environment because I'm safe there. I I really feel safe because I'm concentrated on my game. I like the fact that they're getting faded and my game's getting better. Mm -hmm. When I used to drink. Uh, All my friends would wait until the back nine to bet me because I was so hammered that my golf game just went horrible. Take all your money. So to let you know how my golf game went, and and, and we're we're filling time because our guest didn't show, uh, I went from an 18 handicap Uh to an 8. Wow. That's impressive. That's the lowest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. I've shot in the 70s a handful of times, and uh, I really enjoy golf. And the thing I love about it is, is it's a sport that I'll be able to do Well into older age. Yeah. And I go out on Sundays with my kids, uh, my girlfriend, uh, her kids. And and it's just a good family time to go out there and and just bond and be outside. So
1: growing up, I really didn't have interest in golf. I grew up where there was a golf course up in Morgan. And a lot of my friends went golf. Round Valley. Yeah, Round Valley. And I didn't, I I really, it seemed kind of lame to Uh me, to be honest with you. And the few times I went, I just goofed around. Uh, as an older guy who sits in his office all day, I started thinking, I need to get out more. I need to find things to do. And golf has been such a great thing over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, uh, picking up golf and learning how to do it. Um, it's something I share with my kids now. You get outside. It is great. So I, I, I actually am a huge fan. My daughter's on the, the Bountiful High golf team. So it's great. For the great. past yeah. 20
0: years, every Sunday, I golfed with my father. That's wonderful, and we had some of the best talks, some of the best moments. And my older brother, my younger brother, they had the opportunity to golf with him, but that wasn't really their thing. Mm. And sometimes I I feel bad because I was like, you guys didn't get to see dad the way I did. Yeah, and we had so many wonderful conversations, heart to hearts, and 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 a lot of tears too because he saw me at my worst. Yeah. He saw the downward spiral, and and I mean, he had a front row view to it. And uh so now that we get a golf sober and uh you know, for those of you who don't know, my dad quit drinking when I did because he didn't want to I think me to,
1: that's the coolest thing. He it, didn't want, he, it didn't want really he, is.
0: he didn't want me to do something he didn't think he could do. Yeah, I think that what a what a thing for a dad to show support. So I'm at this golf tournament, it's crazy. Yep. Everybody's getting faded. Mm-hmm. There's you know, birdie juice of a-, a flowing. Yeah. And at the end of the night, they were awarding the winner. And this is where they bring him out and they give him like Jackets and there's a, there's a trophy with a cup in the middle and they're pouring beer in the cup (laughs) and people are pounding it and people are cheering. And it's about seven thirty and I go, okay, guys, I got to go. And they go, where are you going? I go, I'm going to speak at an AA meeting. (laughs) And they're like, ha, and I was like, no, No, seriously, no, really, that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) And so they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to speak at an AA meeting. And they go, well, that's cool. And my friends are very cool and supportive and they go, Really? And I go, yeah. And they go, that's amazing. And so I get in the car with my girlfriend. But did anybody kind of give you a hard time maybe that wasn't a good friend? No. No? No, no, because I think here's the thing that I found about my recovery. Those who don't know – uh, respect me. Those who didn't know me in my previous years, they respect me because I don't judge anybody.
1: And it's been long enough. Now you have acquaintances and friends that never knew you yeah. when you were drinking. They only
0: know me yeah. sober. And so the thing that I pride myself about and, and my recovery is my recovery and it's different from other people. And I know there's a lot of people that couldn't hang out with that kind for fear that they would relapse. I don't fear about relapsing. What I fear is that I won't like my friends anymore. Does that make, oh, s- does yeah, that make sense? Because yeah. I'm going to see things that I don't want to see that break my heart. Has that happened? No, it, it hasn't happened yet. Okay. But I usually exit before it gets crazy. Yeah. And so those who know me, my recovery and, and I'm so open about it, most of the people respect me because when I hang out with people and they're drinking, I don't judge people. I don't ever say anything because and, and, it's not my battle and it's not my fight. And, and truth be told, I've had a lot of friends come up to me and go, Hey, how do you do it? And and, and, oh, they're, I'm sure. and they're trying to figure out how to navigate it themselves because either they see cracks in the wall or they already know that they need help. I think I
1: know the answer to this, but do you feel judgmental of people?
0: No. Yeah. I,
1: I, I, that's not your personality. No. But I think that's one of the biggest fears in adult society that we have is that something that we do or don't do, we're going to be judged
0: for. Yeah. yeah. So when I was done with that, me and my girlfriend, we get in the car, and we drive up the canyon, and we go to Valley Camp. And we've had uh, quite a few guests on from Valley Camp. It's a men's facility located up above Eden, Utah, up above Pine View. Uh, It's like a 12-bed residential. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the past three days, they were doing this big – it's their annual fundraiser.
1: Right, and all the families come right. And oh, stay yeah, up there, and and,
0: and, and, and there was tents everywhere, mm-hmm. and it was it was it, it was cool. And I remember pulling up there, and there wasn't. Had a, you ever been there? before? Never been there. Yeah. Didn't even know it I've, existed. I've heard about it, and, and I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know where it was. Mm-hmm. I. It, and it was it was weird because I grew up in Ogden and I grew up in that area and I grew up in those mountains. I drank a lot of beer in those mountains, but I never came <laughs> never across, stumbled across Valley Camp. Never did. Well. I, I wish I would have a lot earlier. I could have saved some heartache, <laughs> but I didn't. And so as we're driving up there, my girlfriend's like, hey, so what is this? And I go, well, it's their annual fundraiser. And I'm just telling her what the guy told me uh, their fundraiser. And, and they want me to speak to 45 minutes to an hour. And she was, well, what are you going to say? I go, I don't know. Oh, so you, what do you, you didn't prepare? Yeah. She goes, What do you mean you don't know? And I go, Well, I mean, I. She I, doesn't know you well enough to know. She yet. knows, but to her yeah. mind, it, it makes she no sense. Up. Yeah. Like, and if, if she was going to have to give this speech, and I've known for two months. Yeah. She'd have notes. She'd have notes. She'd keep her up at PowerPoint. night. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, like, she'd always be constantly worrying about it. And she goes, This is the first time you thought about it. And I go, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was on the ma- ma- calendar, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> right. And so we're driving up there. and I go, what if it's just eight people? She says, what if it is? I go, well, I'll still do it. But I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I don't know. I have no idea. We turn this corner and the street is lined with cars. Oh, wow. Campers, trailers, people on bikes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's a little bigger than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have. <laughs> Maybe I should have huh. prepared a little. Huh? And we're walking up this dirt road and uh, we come around this corner. And it was cool. And I get chills thinking about it. There were kids on swings. There were people running around. And we just caught the tail end of this meeting. And in this meeting, they were doing celebratory birthdays. And in the AA world, the celebratory birthdays is, you know, for years. Celebrating years sober. Yeah. And so they started out. And there was a guy there with 39 years. Wow. 39 years. And so anyone celebrating 39 years? And this guy stands up. Everybody's like, yeah. Woo. You know, and I thought to myself, I was like, that's cool that after 39 years, this guy's still coming back. Yeah. This means something to this guy to after 39 years. Oh, yeah. They keep coming back. I like that. You know, and so then they go all the way down, and they get to 20, and they get to 15, and they get to 11. And then I saw some of the coolest things that I've ever seen, Uh, you know, where somebody was selling, celebrating 11 years of sobriety, and they really didn't want to stand up, but their kids were there standing them up, making them stand up and going, yeah, yeah proud of him proud of him like yeah yeah, my dad just celebrated 11 years or my mom's got 12 this is amazing and it was cool to see this family environment Mm -hmm. because we found out that addiction is just it's a family disease it absolutely is and these guys families have been affected by it and so they were there celebrating it so they go 11 10 5 you know and and i'm coming up on my five year chip and my girlfriend was like that's you stand up and i like, no 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 and she goes this is a big moment. This is yeah. huge for you. Yeah. You know, and so I, I felt a little premature because I hadn't hit my five years. So I did. not But It's what next month, right? Yeah. And so I didn't stand up, but I, but I stood yeah. in the back and just watched. And then something really cool happened. They go to one year and these people stood up and they was, and it was, and it was cool to see them. Yeah. You know, because I, I remember that milestone and a year was big for me because th- that's all I wanted. That was my goal. And mm-hmm. I, and then at the year, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just kept going. Uh, and then they go from a year to 11 months to 12 months. And then they go all the way down. And they kept this thing going to 30 days, 28 days. Really? 24 hours and i saw three people stand up for 24 hours. Oh wow. And to be surrounded by all these people, a lot of them strangers but family in re- in recovery. Yeah. It was it was it was amazing and it was just what my body needed. It was just what my mind needed. It was just what my soul needed. And to be a part of that, i was like, holy cow. This is cool. That's yeah, that's special. And you're all surrounded in kind of like this amphitheater and they've got this fire pit down there and they've, and they've they've got this, this, this fire blazing and everybody's around. And, uh, I'm sitting up there and a friend of the show who's been on the podcast, Scott Hoffman Mm -hmm. goes to introduce me and we've got a video of it. We'll put it on our Facebook. And, uh, he goes, all right, it's your turn. And I go up there and, uh, I say hi. My name is Casey Scott. I'm an alcoholic, and I had 250 people cheering, and it was cool. I mean, it, like, it, I mean, it was the first time in my recovery that I said that that I was proud. Really, I was proud to be an alcoholic. Yeah, because of where I'm at mm-hmm. now. Now, I used to say, I used to think that in my head that I would be embarrassed to tell people I'm an alcoholic. But what's weird is I wasn't embarrassed about my behavior when I was <laughs> drinking yeah. and, and doing stupid things and ruining marriages and causing crashes and, and just doing devastating thing. That is an embarrassment. Yeah. The fact that I'm an alcoholic in recovery is proud. Yeah. I'm prideful about that. That's an amazing, amazing statement right there. Because if I know somebody who's in active recovery, who's been an alcoholic, I know what they've been through. And I know where they're going, and I know what kind of person they are. Yeah. And it was powerful. That's awesome. And then I just opened up the mic and I told bits and pieces of my story. I talked about you. I talked about Josh. I talked about my ex-wife. I talked about my girlfriend. And I talked about my kids. And it was so good for me. It was so good to get it out there. It's because cathartic. It was. It, and it was. And it was. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by 250 people that I don't know that are now brothers and sisters to me Yeah, that you were coming up to me afterwards, hugging me and saying, Hey, thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, and it was once again, you know, daughters coming up and going, Hey, I was your daughter in that story uh, or I was you or I was your mom. And, you know, Relatability and, and I talked about it and, and, and I walked in, I mean, I drove home with my girlfriend and she was like, wow. Was that what did, what did she think
1: of that whole experience?
0: She loved it, yeah. you know. Um, and some of the part of my story she hadn't heard, you know I me mean? because I I I I don't always tell the story the same way, and All it's right. just kind of whatever's top of mind or in my heart or or kind of just a free flow, you know, conversation. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it was good for us, you know. what I mean, I, as, as a rem- couple, as a couple, yeah. It, it was a reminder, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and and truth be told, I would not be here without my girlfriend's help. I don't know if everybody knows this, but how long had you been dating when you
1: uh, had a month and a half
0: (laughs) before I went to rehab? She didn't know I was an alcoholic. She didn't know.
1: No. And then all that happened and she stuck around.
0: You know, for the first year, I didn't have a driver's license. She drove me around. She took me to my parole officer to take a a urine test. I mean, she, I mean, she did whatever needed to be. I mean, she made sure that my kids had a Christmas, be able to take me to the store to go shopping. Yeah. You know, and so it was it was it was wonderful. And it was just such the most fabulous time. And and I was like, how do I go from, you know, celebrating with my friends chugging beer out of a a trophy to speaking to 250 strangers and just. Well, because you're sober, that's the only reason you could do that. And it was amazing. And I'm very grateful for my sobriety. I do believe in recovery. I think it is amazing. And I tell people all the time it is not easy. It is hard and it's going to test everything you got, mm-hmm. but it is so worth it. Mm-hmm. And the people that you think are way too gone, they're not, they're not, but they can't do it for you. They've got to do it for themselves. So they've got yeah. to find out where it is and they got to see their look inside and go, do I have one more fight? Can I give this everything I got? Have i given it everything I've got? Cause if I haven't, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take everything you got.
1: Absolutely. You know, I love about that is the picture you're painting there that I'm seeing in my mind as you're describing this event is what we always say on the show. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. And look at that. Like you have an intergenerational connection of friends and family, young people, older people uh, coming together, destroying the stigma of addiction, which I think is wonderful. Talking about it always makes things better. Being able to connect with each other, what a very very special event that is. That's very cool.
0: Look, here's a picture, and I and I, I can't really show all of it because of the anonymity part of the AA meeting. An- yeah, anonymity. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh huh. All right. That's that is that is that's impressive. That's a beautiful thing.
0: But that brings me up to another part, and and, and I respect AA, and, and I think they do wonderful things, and I think it's a program that that, that has saved it's saved many lives, many lives. But at one point I posted something and somebody says, hey, take that down because, you know. Yeah. And I said, okay, I get that. But then I started, I was like, ooh, is this a fight you want to start, Casey? And I was like, I don't know, man. Because in recovery, they also teach us our secrets keep us sick. Right. And so if somebody is keeping their disease, their addiction secret, Mm-hmm. from the rest of the world, is that keeping them sick? I don't know. I don't have the answer. And that's why I didn't start the flight. I think it
1: could. I think
0: it can. I respect those who want to because uh, their recovery uh, journey is their own journey and however they want to do it.
1: What I would say is I would highly encourage people who are in recovery to share their story as often uh, as they have the opportunity, especially within their family mm-hmm. and their close friends. The reason for that is it's good for the person to share it, and it is what we need as a society to get past this um, stigma of uh, the, uh, mental health in general, substance abuse specifically, knowing why. I, I was telling my dad, we were talking recently at his 80th birthday, about how it doing this show and being in, in the studio talking with addicts every week for almost four years now, has all has tremendously increased my empathy for the homeless Mm -hmm. uh, and for people who are struggling with substance abuse and addiction. And I think I was already pretty empathetic Uh, with my job uh, that that's not the population I see primarily. But if you work with people, you work with addictions and seeing young kids and older people who struggle with this uh, over the years, I think I had empathy already, but it has tremendously increased my empathy. And I think I probably was still holding on to some of that stigma that we all grew up with about addiction and alcoholism. And I appreciate just for my own growth, the opportunity to come in and talk to people in recovery every week. And being able to share that. So I think I said off the air and, and this might get somebody mad at me, but I think the anonymous part really made sense in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much sense it makes anymore. I do think it should be a personal choice. Right. And everybody, like you said, their, their recovery is their own. And so if they're uncomfortable sharing, um, that's fine. But I would encourage those people to reconsider Sharing because it's cathartic and healthy for the person who's sharing, and it does so much widespread good for people to realize you know, how about those kids that you saw there swinging on the swings or lifting their dad up? That they know something about addiction and their family history yeah. that's going to benefit them and generations.
0: I've said it before about my kids. I wish they never had to go through this with me. If I could go back, I wish they didn't have to, but because they did, they're going to be powerful. They're going to be loving. They're going to be empathetic and they're going to be understanding. They're informed and they're educated and that makes a huge difference. You know, that's the reason we started this podcast was because, uh, when i was in rehab and i was sitting in the process groups and i was looking around i had a stigma about it and i was an alcoholic and i thought alcoholics were guys who didn't have jobs who lived down at the park and all that other stuff but right. when i'm sitting in a process group with 16 people and there's lawyers there's doctors there's you know i mean school f- teachers also everybody i go that's the face of addiction that the, the, that's every one of our neighbors friends family mm-hmm. members loved ones absolutely and so we wanted to do that so we could lessen the stigma my addiction. Yeah. Another cool thing about uh, being me, if you can, if you will, <laughs> is that I, I get people reaching out to me all the time and yeah. it's friends of friends or or somebody got their number from somebody. And so I was talking to this uh, this person uh, via text. And I just want, because here's the thing. I'm not a therapist and I'm not a psychologist. I can just tell you what's in my brain and what's working for me. And uh, my advice is just my advice. It, it, it's nothing other than sure. that. But this person wrote me this and, and I wanted to bounce it off of you and see if I did okay. Okay. So we've been talking for a while and he goes, hey, one other thing. I'm sure you know I don't drink or do any drugs, but when I fall into these funks, I'll catch myself thinking, Should I just try to get hammered or high just to make it go away? I know you have a lot of experience with people of having addictions. Is there a method or technique you'd recommend in that situation? Mm, Great question. My response was, I would recommend not doing it. (laughs) Do not do it. It will work temporarily, but it's not a long-term fix, but has long-term effects. Work out, golf, breathe. Sometimes you just have to wait until it passes. And that's another important point of recovery is that, we live in a society where we want answers instantaneously. We want yeah. everything fixed, and sometimes the best answer is just to wait until it passes. Because you, here is what they say in recovery: sometimes you got to sit in your own stink. <laughs> yeah, but they they don't. But you know what I mean. They say it a little differently. Yeah, yeah. but and and what that <laughs> means is is that you've created this. Yeah, you got to live with it. You got to live with it and you've got to get okay with it and it'll pass,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you've got to feel those feelings. If you don't feel the bad feelings, you won't appreciate the good feelings. I mean, you there's, there's ups and downs in life and we can't all go through on this Instagram high where everything is perfect. That's not real life. That's not how this works.
1: Right. Well, the term I, comes to my mind. So first of all, the advice was great. I think that's awesome. It's relatable advice. You know, it's, you're in a good conversation with that person and I hope he took uh, to heart what you had to say, but especially the, the sitting with it, like, you know, just letting it pass part. Uh, the term is low frustration tolerance. Like I think as a society, we, we want instantaneous gratification. We can't delay our gratification. We have a low uh, tolerance for feeling frustrated or uncomfortable. And the minute a person can accept the fact that I am going to be uncomfortable at times, Mm-hmm. And if I stick it out, it's going to pass. And especially if I open up and get some help, it's going to pass a little quicker. That is empowering. But when we can't tolerate uh, feeling uncomfortable, when we want instant gratification, we turn to things like drugs and alcohol, uh, food and sugar and caffeine, sex, uh, sex, uh, video games, whatever gives us that instant gratification. And we rob ourselves of growth because when we wade through the problems of life when we delay our gratification when we work through and accept something that's painful um we we have an opportunity to grow i remember do you remember platoon the movie platoon charlie sheen yeah charlie sheen's in it and there's that scene where um i can't remember which soldier has been shot and he's screaming and the sergeant puts his hand over his mouth and he goes take the pain and then he takes his hand off And he's quiet again in the pain. That's pretty dramatic. Yeah. But that comes to my mind sometimes when you're like, you know what, sometimes we do have to take the pain. We have to sit in in it. And I don't mean alone. I actually mean that's where the connection part comes. Mm -hmm. If you can tolerate your your pain and and your frustration and you're also willing to reach out and get real help, you're going to make it through those times. And pretty soon it's not going to be painful anymore. Yeah. But I know that for you it was painful for a long time. Yeah. And
0: and, and there's a there's a a rock band group and it's called OK Go. And they have a song. They have a song that goes this too shall pass. Yeah. And, you know, and and that's good advice. I mean, it will pass and nothing is permanent, Mm -hmm. you know, except for death. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to sit in it.
1: Yeah. And that's why if, if you go to recovery, stay there the whole time. Don't yeah. leave early. If you're if you're going to therapy, try it out for a while. Don't quit early just because you thought the therapist wasn't the best for you. Try things out. Or if you if, if you don't like that therapist, try another
0: one. But don't give up on your process. You know, I, much of my life, I've just thrown as much as I can against the wall and see what's stuck. <laughs> you, you know what I mean yeah and 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 that's kind of how I live life because i I don't know, I don't know I won't like it until I try it, yeah, and so let, let, let's let's find out, yeah, and sometimes you're going to have to f- try a couple of things until you find out what recovery works for you, absolutely. We've got a, a guest coming up right after this. We just scored him. His name is John Smith, he's the morning d j on uh, a radio station here in k s l uh the arrow the arrow the, yeah. the classic rock he's probably forty four years old. And was just diagnosed with ADHD.
1: And we've talked a lot on the show about how uh, mental health issues, especially developmental ones like ADHD or anxiety, uh, are often part
0: of someone's backstory and how they became addicted. A precursor. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times that's what sends people searching for that instant gratification. Just like
1: the person you were texting with.
0: Yep. So stick around. More Project Recovery. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. This is the time of the show where we go back to school. Back to school. Because everybody's talking about back to school, Instagram, my, all my stuff. My daughter uh, started her senior year this year. And that's that, and It's your that's, last. That's my last kid. And so this is the last year you're yeah. going to do back to school photos. I forgot to. Well, you better go home and get one. Well,
1: we, uh, we already talked about she's going to fake it. We're going to have her brother
0: take it because yeah. I'm at work. and uh-huh. It'll look like she's... I love going it back to school. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the thing is back to school is it brings a lot of uh, anxiety, a, a lot mm-hmm. of things going on through our kids' uh, minds, you know, with the current state of school and everything that's going on. It's, when,
1: it, it's, when I've been talking to kids the last week or two. Very few of them are worried about the grades and the academics. It's all the social stuff and a lot of anxiety
0: around that. And when speaking of anxiety, the podcast here, Project Recovery, we talk about anxiety being one of the main pillars of why people either start to self-medicate or the reason they they go down that that road. And so what we wanted to do was talk about some signs and some things that uh, might be able to help our kids, help ourselves understand what's going on with it. So for those who don't know, Dr. Matt, what Mm. is anxiety in its simplest form? Uh, Well, anxiety is biological. It's sort of a
1: hypervigilance of your system to pay attention to things around you. But it usually goes way above and beyond. People start to have lots of intrusive thoughts and worries, anxious feelings, increased heart rate. So it's both It's one of those psychiatric things that's both very physical Mm
0: -hmm. and mental. Many times you've said that you've had patients who say that they've gone to the ER thinking they were having a heart Mm -hmm. attack, Mm -hmm. only to find out they were suffering a massive panic attack. Yeah,
1: I even have a good friend who has been an ER doc for 30 years, and he said, still, sometimes people will come in and it takes them a few minutes to realize, oh, this isn't a heart attack. This is a panic attack, because you'll have chest pain, arm pain, sweatiness, dizziness.
0: It can be pretty severe. All right, question for you. Is anxiety hereditary? Yes. And so if you suffer from anxiety, there's a good chance that your parents did and maybe your offspring as well.
1: Yeah, it runs in families. I mean, it's not a guarantee that every kid in the family is going to have anxiety if mom and dad do, but it uh, increases your chances a lot.
0: All right. Now, we've talked about anxiety, but another one for kids and uh, going back to school is ADHD. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And we brought in our, uh, our, our morning show DJ here at uh, KSL. Local celebrity. Yeah, John Smith. I've worked with a guy for over 25 years. In fact, for some of you might not know, he was the very first producer on this podcast.
1: Can I tell you a joke about John Smith? Yeah. Or it's something that we joked about yeah. about John, that he doesn't know this. Yeah. So when my daughter, who's now a senior, was in middle school and I would drive her to school every day, uh-huh. uh, we, we'd turn on the arrow and listen to John. You know DJ in the morning, uh-huh. and I apparently too many days in a row. I, I said, "Hey, you know I know this guy. I know John Smith." <laughs> and so one one of the days, I turn it on, and she goes, "Hey, Dad, I know you know John Smith."
0: <laughs> well, we know John Smith, <laughs> and you know that. That's awesome. You're going to know John Smith too, uh, John. You were telling me just yesterday you were diagnosed with ADHD. Now, what made somebody in their forties go? Looking for a diagnosis like this. Well, I mean, it wasn't a, a shock. I mean, I've I, I was diagnosed as a
2: kid uh, with ADD and mm-hmm. given Ritalin and the whole thing. Um, and I was diagnosed several years ago. This is this is honestly this is the first time I've talked about this publicly. Um, I was diagnosed several years ago with anxiety and and depression, amongst other things. And uh, looking into my own mental health and, and dealing with with my own day to day struggles I was uh, looking at, like, uh, Instagram pages for ADHD help and and jokes about stuff like that. And I was like, man, maybe – Maybe this is something that isn't just me. Maybe these are things that actually play
0: into this. Well, I think you do what a lot of people who have ADHD or ADD do. They kind of lean into it, and then yeah. they start to use it as an excuse for their erratic behavior or certain things they do. Rather than just really try to diagnose this or figure it out, yeah. they just they kind of put it out there and go, well, that's just my ADHD. Well, John, you, you can answer this like –
1: most people who grow up, I mean, it's a, deve- it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. So right. meaning it, ha- you know, it, it kind of creeps up and grows with you as you get older. Mm-hmm. So most people, by the time they get older, they start to think either, well, there's just something wrong with me or I'm just not as smart as everybody, but they don't realize that they have, cause it's normal to them. They feel right. like it's like, well, this is just how I am instead of realizing, oh, this is something that could be
2: treated. I find it hard to believe that other people aren't this way. Like, my, my brain just works a little bit differently. Yeah. Um. It's it's a lot faster in some ways. So there's a lot of things that play into my job that I wouldn't be able to do without ADHD. Yeah. But there's also a lot of problems that I have, both uh, socially with previous employers, with school, uh, with my wife, where it's like, oh, that's why I do this. Mm. Okay, that's that's good to so know. So, like, being
1: impulsive, saying things you shouldn't say. Yep. Uh, losing track of time. Yep. Yeah.
2: Uh, time blindness. Uh, object permanence is another yeah. one. Ooh, I don't
0: know what that is. Um,
2: if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Ooh. So T- typically, if I put something in a drawer, yeah. it
1: vanishes. At 18 months, you develop that, unless you have ADHD.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you play Peek-a-boo. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> whoa,
0: whoa, it's back.
2: But no, it's like when like, uh, uh, and I I think Casey probably has this because I know you. Uh, you had this thing uh, in, in your relationships where your wife would have a Casey, a Casey bin mm-hmm. uh, and things that you just leave around the house. She would just say,
0: put it in the Casey bin and then I'll put it away for you. Yeah. And then my girlfriend does the same thing. Yeah. I mean. <laughs>
2: um, and so we, we adopted that at my house. You know, So we have the John bin. So Sharon knows where to find my keys, um, where my shoes just kind of end up laying around. But like there are times where Sharon will literally hand me something. And I will lose it. Not five seconds later, and I'll be like, "Wait, where did I put that paper?" Yeah. Now, do you Seriously, think your you wife's it already?
0: Do you think <laughs> your wife understands that you have ADHD, or that this is something going on with you neuro- neurologically, or do you think it's she just goes, "That's just John"? There's a little, there's a little of all of the above in there um, because we got
2: married really young, and we dated all through high school, so she's known me for you know thirty something years at this point. Um, And we've been married for 25. So we've grown together in a lot of these ways. And, yeah, a lot of it's still very, very frustrating for her because she's a very put-together, organized person. Um, Where me, I don't do finances. I don't keep track of things. I'm a 90 percenter when it comes to getting stuff done. Like I will clean a room 90 percent of the way and then I'll get distracted and go do something else. Um, And that's just something that, you know, she's just kind of learned to put up with um but at the same time she also understands that uh you know there's certain little like things where um my brain will suddenly need like that dopamine hit of going out and buying uh, some random action figure or playing a video game.
0: Did you just um, say you get a dopamine hit from buying a random action figure? Yeah.
2: Huh. It's 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 honestly that's the thing we talk about. Not this random, week. It's not random, it's GI Joe. <laughs> we, yeah. Let's say yeah. we all know it. Star Wars. <laughs> or Transformers, okay. come on. Okay. Reliving, uh reliving <laughs> the the glory days of the nineteen eighties. But no, there's there. I realized um, that, and I actually use this to my advantage. Where if I perform a certain amount of tasks at work, or if I get a certain amount of stuff done on time, I will reward myself by going and buying an action figure, or I will get well, to purchasing. Do, that's get, that's shopping therapy,
1: right? Right, retail correct. therapy.
2: Retail therapy. Or yeah. I will allow myself to play a video game, mm-hmm. and I can't. I will. I will forbid myself from doing these things. If I don't get that done.
0: And that's what, and basically, I mean, that's what I do uh, with the gym and my free time. I go, if I go to the gym and I do this, then I can go do this. Yeah, that's but, a great but, dopamine But, release, but I've got to
1: do this or I don't get to do that. So that's managing some of that inattention. That's good. Let me ask you this. As a kid growing up, do you think that being inattentive, Caused you any trouble in school, either academically, socially? <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: Because I, I was the same kid. I yeah. was the class clown. I was right. you know. And then... but so yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, um, I was always
2: I was always the kid that was in trouble. Yeah, I mean, I was always doodling. I was always staring off into space. Um, I was always interrupting people or cracking jokes. And then I would I would mask that with with humor. You know what I mean? I would I would learn to get by in other ways. So one of the
1: things that's interesting in the history of diagnosing this is before they really understood exactly what it was back in the seventies and early eighties, there was a lot of talk about it also being part of your intelligence because kids with ADHD typically got much lower grades. Right. Right. And so the, the problem is kind of tying this back to substance abuse. A lot of kids who are now maybe in their thirties, forties, and fifties grew up at a time where it wasn't well diagnosed. They thought it had to do with intelligence. So they developed sort of low self-esteem around school. And that often made kids kind of give up and say, well, I'm just not good at school. I'm going to go hang out with the parking lot crew. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of drinking and substance abuse starts when they're as early as junior high.
2: Yeah, because you're tired of feeling... Feeling crappy about yourself? Yeah,
1: you feel bad about yourself. Uh, you, I'm going to go out and, and do something that makes th- me feel better. You guys, I want you both to confess to this if it's true. Uh, personal space violators. Elementary and middle school kids with ADHD are often right up. They're close talkers. You oh, know? that was me. They get up in your face. They, they and they bug other kids, so they struggle keeping friends because kids are like, "Ah, this kid's too much." You know, he's just like up in my space all the time. I don't know if I was like I don't know if I was like
2: physically close, but okay. I was I was I was always <laughs> like. At people's houses,
0: or you know, bugging them when they're trying to get their work done. So let me ask you this, you were diagnosed just yesterday with ADHD. So how do they help you? What do they tell you? What does it look like? This is the you give a kid with ADHD or you give an adult with
2: ADHD a 30-minute multiple choice computer <laughs> test. Yeah. That should be a diagnosis right there that yeah. I'm just mad can't make like it halfway through. through. Yeah. So I just start guessing on answers and and the lady giving the test she was like, "No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on." Everything can't be C. Yeah, and then it was it was uh, graded on a scale and she's like, well, this this is what we would call severe ADHD. You are mm. all the way in the red. You are one hundred percent in the red. Mm. And I'm like, that sounds bad. She's like, no, it's actually really good. She's like, you you've been able to figure some. You've been able to figure something out about yourself. And for the first time, I didn't feel bad about it. Right? Like, I didn't feel guilty or feel like I needed to hide it or feel like I needed to use ADHD to explain um, why my brain works the excuses. way it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just. It's just a part of who I am. So and what treatments
1: did they suggest for you?
2: Oddly enough, they did not suggest medication, uh-huh. which I did tell them beforehand that I didn't I wasn't interested in in medicating mm. uh, because I don't want to change my personality. You know? Yeah. It's who I am. Yeah. And and I've I've made a career out of being a wacky So they, they DJ. kind of talk to you about functionality. Like Correct. how, how yeah. functional are you with so, this issue? Yeah. So you know it's it's and it's not it's not like everyday things, like you need to write stuff down or you need to do this, or you need it's just a simple matter of you know, allow yourself uh, room to forgive if if you don't get this stuff done. Understand that your brain works in a way that you want to clean three rooms at one time, mm-hmm. and uh, certain things like okay, well, you'll find yourself making piles of stuff because you don't know where it goes. Which I totally do. So I have piles of just random stuff mm-hmm. all over my house because I don't know where to put it.
0: And you don't want to throw it away because you I don't, don't want to
2: throw it away because I, I don't. You I don't never know where it. I'm going to need it. And so then it becomes hoarding, right? Yeah. And so the doctor, she said, just pick one pile, one pile per week Mm -hmm. and just. So what they suggested was behavior modification. Right. And
1: uh, that is actually uh, once your brain has stopped growing. Sorry to tell it to you, buddy, but it has (laughs) when you were about 25. um, Behavior modification is much more effective. So for people listening, if you're interested in a resource, uh, anything by Russell Barkley, Uh, his research group. So there's like a comprehensive guide for parents. There's one for adults. And it gives you lots of strategies for behavior and thinking changes so that you can learn to modify it because you have gravitated into a career where it doesn't hurt you. Both of you guys have. You've gravitated into careers where, you know, you can kind of be yourself who's a little impulsive and, and it's fun. Whereas somebody else who might be trying to work a cubicle job is, in misery, it's torture to. You try don't to really focus.
0: want an impulsive doctor, no, probably, <laughs>
2: probably not. But I know a few. <laughs> in my, uh, you know, growing up, and and in my early stages of, of working into radio, you know, I've had multiple day jobs that I would just get fired from, and yeah. I would just, it just seemed normal to me, um, where it's like, oh, okay, here it comes, yeah, you know, and and it wasn't because of performance; it was because of attitude or. Or, uh, impulsive actions, you know? Well,
1: yeah. And it it wasn't intention, intentional. And that's the, that's the thing for kids and adults is ADHD. If it's untreated, whether it's medicine or behavior modification, uh, if it's untreated, then you start to struggle because you, you lose friends, you lose jobs, you lose opportunities, your grades are low. Those kinds of things can be self-esteem killers. And then that can also influence your, uh, substance abuse.
0: So for people at home, let's uh, kind of help people out there uh, with anxiety and ADHD. Mm-hmm. If you think you or a loved one or somebody you might know is suffering with anxiety or ADHD, where is a good jumping off point for them to kind of search for help or to look for answers? Yeah. Um, I mean, John said he found his ADHD uh, kind of information on Instagram, yeah. where he was looking for yeah. jokes or looking for bits or kind of strolling through it, and then all of a sudden, stuff hit him. He's like, "Wait a minute, I do that. I do yeah. that too." And it's funny because,
2: like, I had I've had doctors uh, tell me over the years, "No, you you really need to to see somebody about this." And I'll be like, "No, no, I'm fine. Give me some Xanax or No, no, I'm fine. I'm, i don't worry about it. You know, hey, I'm just I'm just a wacky guy." Yeah. Um, and I finally was just like, "Yeah, you know what? Why not?" You
1: yeah.
0: know, what's it going to hurt? So get a, get
1: a referral for an assessment. Um, and and your, for those your who fam- don't.
0: No, no. You told me a, sometimes a good referral for that would be your family doctor.
1: Yeah. So a lot of times uh, either a pediatrician or just your family doctor, they have connections. Now it's much more common to have medical psychologists in those clinics or have referral sources. So it's, you can usually get in quickly there. That's why I I often recommend a pediatrician or a family doctor as a jumping off point. Um, I, but, of course, if you're in Salt Lake City area, Huntsman Mental Health Institute, we have a lot of inpatient and outpatient resources, places you can go get assessed or start working with a therapist. Um, I do a lot of that in my practice because I work with young people a lot. And uh, medicine can be helpful, especially if you're younger. Uh, but behavior modification is what makes real change over time and helps people still, like John was worried about, still feel like you can be yourself, but maybe just a little bit more of a functional version of yourself. But
0: I also think a lot of times parents don't want to get that diagnosis because there is a stigma that goes along with ADHD and yeah. it's the problem kids. Yeah. It's, you know, they yeah. don't want their kid in a special learning program or, and right. all that stuff, but you're really not doing them any help if, if, if you're not getting the proper care yeah. and, and the resources. I'm not a hundred percent positive about this,
1: but I'm pretty sure that denial never really fixes problems. No, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. I'm, right? I've been there. Yeah. 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 No, and me and rehab, I, get, I get it to a point. And here's the other thing I would tell parents. You're always in control. Your kid doesn't have to be in a special program. But if you know what the causes are of the struggles that your child's having, you can find resources outside of school if you don't want to have them in school. Uh, I have had school starting up now, and I've had a few phone call conferences with the whole treatment team. And usually they just want to be helpful, provide extra time for tests or assignments and things like that. And it's really helpful to a kid to get their self-esteem back on track when they realize, oh. I'm not dumb. I'm a smart kid. It's just that I struggle with attention and finishing projects, and that's why my grades are low. So if I can fix that, all of a sudden that self. Esteem goes up because now they're performing well, and it's it's a beautiful thing to see somebody turn it around. So good for you, John. I'm really glad you
0: went and got an actual assessment instead of just
1: S-
2: instead a, of self-diagnosis. Facebook. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. Well, you can listen to John Smith every morning on 103.5 The Arrow. You guys got an app for our viewer or listeners that are outside of the state? Yes, absolutely. And they're playing the classic rock and roll, baby, like Zeppelin. I love it. Yeah, that's what we do. Pink Floyd. Yep. Aerosmith.
2: Yep. Oh, they play those.
1: I heard Beastie Boys the other day. Yeah,
2: we play some Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah. That song's like forty years old now. Believe. You gotta love the Beastie Boys. Uh, yeah. We, you know, believe it or not, we call it the freshman class of classic rock. Uh, <laughs> so you get a little bit of Beastie Boys and yeah. like uh, you know Metallica. Soundgarden, Foo Fighters, stuff like that.
0: Good combo of music. Right. I love it. Hey, and thank you for listening to another episode of Project Recovery. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. you got to fight for your right to party
1: in recovery.
2: Hey, who sings that song?
1: Beastie Boys. Let's keep it that way.